Our First Baptist Family's mission statement is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others in a joyful life with Him. And to fit very closely with that is our theme for this season, Go and Tell. We hope everything that we provide, all the resources, encourage you, equip you to do just that. Go and Tell. Well, good morning. I want to take just a few moments to kind of, kind of, no, I'm going to tell you what's going on in our church family, invite you to be a part of those things. Um, The first thing I want to remind you of, if you're not aware, we have combined worship on November 12th. What that means is, is uh, we will not be here in 4th Street Crossing, but we will be combining with um, the traditional service to worship all together in one place. So we will not be meeting in here for worship. We will be meeting in what I call the big room, our primary, our main sanctuary. So be mindful of that. Um, We do have family dedications uh, coming up and we'll be dedicating families in that combined uh, worship service on the 12th, 12th. But on November 5th, Um, If you are looking, if you've had a newborn um, and your family hasn't been rededicated with that newborn, uh, then we would invite you to be a part of that family dedications class on um, the 5th, which is next Sunday, so that you could be a part of that family dedication service on the 12th. Also, um, we know that we continue to pray for peace in Israel and in Gaza. If you are keeping up with the news, uh, we know things aren't getting easier there, but are moving into a trajectory that there is still much heartache and pain and loss of life. Um, And so we know that, I know that you continue to pray for peace, that the Lord would thwart the uh, schemes of the enemy in all of that. I want to give you an opportunity to be a part of what God is doing uh, there. Um, Texas Baptist men and their disaster relief teams are actually in Israel providing relief. One of the ways that you can support what God is doing there is to make donations uh, to Texas Baptist men as they are on the ground. Um, Also, a dear friend of mine uh, sent me a list of other ways that you can give. And I've printed off these sheets. There's a lot of different organizations that have been vetted um, that if you're eager to uh, give in support of the effort there in Israel, um, please see me right after the service and then I can give you that as well um, so that you can participate and support ongoing effort there in Israel. Let's continue to pray, uh, continue to be advocates for peace there in Israel. 
Well, good morning again. My name is Danny. If you're new with us today, I'm super thrilled that you're here. We would love to know that you were with us today and you can let us know that you're new here today by going to fbcsa.org slash connect. It's super simple. I invite you even to do it um, right now. Um, But our mission as a church family is to faithfully follow our Lord Jesus Christ and lead all others to a joyful life with him. And as I say every week, um, we really wanna learn how to faithfully follow Jesus and fulfill that mission more and more as individuals and as a church family. We ask also that you continue to give through this church family to be a part of what God is doing here and in the world. You can do that by going to fbcsa.org slash give. Well, would you honor the word of God? Let's stand together. We're gonna read our scripture for today, the, at least a portion of that scripture. We'll be just rereading these verses and beginning in verse 28. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. So, dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, We are children of the free woman. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We need it. Help us to see and understand and to apply your truth into our life every day. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, you may be seated. Last week we talked about kingdom friendship. In fact, um, Paul kind of um, spent some time with a personal appeal Uh, reminding them of the history that they had together and reminding them of the friendship they had together. And it was on the basis of that kingdom friendship that Paul was willing to step into this messy moment in their relationship where they began to see Paul as an enemy, not an advocate. Um, We've been there. We've had relationships like that. But Paul says, I'm stepping back into that relationship to remind them of who they are and the freedom that we have in Jesus, who is willing to do and to say the hard things. And all along the way, in this little letter to these churches in Galatia, uh, Paul has been saying, can I just tell you, uh, becoming Jewish, adhering to their laws and customs is not what makes you a child of God, but faith does. In Jesus, faith in Jesus, that he has accomplished everything that's required for you to know forgiveness and restoration. You don't have to become someone. Take on certain things and customs and cultures and practices in order to be a child of God. You don't have to achieve a certain list of requirements. You only have to put faith in Jesus and what he has fulfilled on your behalf. Let me begin by asking you this question. If you had to, if you had to devise a list of reasons why God should allow you into his kingdom, what would that list entail? 
I mean, if you were sitting home one night and you're like, what would it look like? What, what, would, what would I put on a list to convince God to allow me into his kingdom? What would make that list? In this text in Galatians chapter four, um, we get to see another example of Abraham where perhaps he was trying to create his own list. I find it really interesting that Paul returns to his example of Abraham. We've already seen Abraham as an example, an example of someone who, who is righteous, but has been declared righteous because they live by faith alone. Abraham was unique uh, in that his life of faith in God and his being declared righteous predated the law. And Paul said, what's true of Abraham is now still true of you. The righteous live by faith. So put your faith in Jesus and not in the works of the law. But he returns to Abraham as an example. One of the reasons I think he uses Abraham as an example, not just once but twice, is because previously Abraham was a great example of starting things really well, just like the Galatians, right? From the beginning, Paul's like, what happened to you? You started so well. I shared the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that Jesus, who's the son of God, he, he went to the cross, he died for the penalty of your sin and he rose victorious over sin and death so that you could know forgiveness and life. And you put your faith in that. You believed in Jesus. What went wrong? Where did you go off course? Why did you go off course? Why are you believing these people rather than continuing to believe what I delivered to you from the beginning? Both Abraham and the Galatians started off so well and so it's fitting that, that Paul returns to the story of Abraham because Abraham's story fits in with their story, that somewhere they went off course and we can see where Abraham went off course in this text. Let me just begin by reading verse 21 through 23. Tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says. The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. Now these verses really function as a key to understand the remaining verses all the way through 31. But the gist of what Paul is saying, using Abraham as an example of where he goes off course, is that he illustrates that there is that place, that diversion, Abraham chose to take matters into his own hands. There was likely a sense of anxiety. He received the promise of God of having an heir through Sarah. He believed it. God declared to him that you are righteous because you have believed in the promise that I have given you. But along the way, I think there is some anxiety and tension. Now, some time has gone by. I mean, wouldn't have Sarah gotten pregnant already? Um, you know, what if, what if this doesn't happen that way? What if God is waiting on me to do what I need to do? Oh, there's Hagar and Sarah's okay with me using Hagar. It's kind of like customary if you don't have an heir to use a servant uh, to produce you an heir. Okay, so I'm gonna go that route. I think part of his diversion happened because of his anxiety and worrying 
if God is gonna be able to fulfill his promise and maybe he should take matters into his own hands. But Paul says, Abraham chose human effort, his own effort to achieve what God had promised to give him an heir. When God all along was going to use Sarah, Abraham's wife, to fulfill the promise of having a child, Isaac, who would be Abraham's heir and the fulfillment of that grand promise of being a father of nations and being a blessing to the whole world. And Paul reminds us once again in those first three verses, which functions as a key for the rest of the passage, his, his first declaration is, don't take matters into your own hands like Abraham took matters into his own hands. You are not going to achieve and realize the promises of God by working it out in human effort. By trying to complete a list of requirements in order to achieve your own righteousness. To find yourself approved before God by what you do in your own human effort. Paul's declaration is, is don't take matters into your own hands ever. Don't do what Abraham did. He started well, but at this point in his journey with God, he took matters into his own hands and it was, did not go well. In fact, Paul spends some time talking about the results of that taking matters into his own hands. Verse 24. These two women... Hagar and Sarah serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai where people received the law that would enslave them. Now, we know that everything God gives is good. And the law was given from heaven to the people of Israel as a part of that covenant package. And so... Paul is not saying here that it's the law itself out of its wickedness or some distortion that it was intended to enslave the people. The law was never intended to enslave the people. And yet it became that, became that. Verse 25, and now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. He's describing what's happening uh, among the people in Jerusalem today who are being held captive by fulfilling every requirement of the law in order to achieve their own righteousness. And he's saying they're living and they're using the law in a way that was never intended. Verse 26, but the other woman, Sarah, represents heavily Jerusalem. This spiritual reality this transcendence of heaven and earth, that, that there, are, there are those who are not Jewish people, that they too can become part of God's people, part of Jerusalem by faith. They can be sons and daughters of Abraham. Paul says that because Jesus says that. But we receive that. We become like Isaac. Uh, we are the children of promise. But the other woman, Sarah, represents heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman and she is our mother. As Isaiah said, rejoice, O childless woman, 
You who have never given birth, break into our joyful shout. You who have never been in labor, for the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. The promise is fulfilled through Sarah. And the promise of God's future kingdom, which is made up of many different ethnic groups and peoples, not because of obeying the law, but because of trusting God in the fulfillment of his promise, ultimately through Jesus. But Paul is saying to us that when you take matters into your own hands, the result is never what you have hoped for. It never achieves what you intend for it to achieve. And he illustrates that between these two women and their two sons. Things went wrong when Abraham made Hagar into someone she never was intended to be. Hagar was a slave, a maid servant that was intended always to serve Sarah and all of her needs. Maybe even a more direct way, Hagar in her relationship with Sarah was always intended to serve Sarah and her son, the heir, Isaac. That was to be her role. And yet Abraham chose, because of his own human effort in trying to wrangle this promise into existence, made Hagar someone she was never intended to be, a mother of a supposed heir who never became an heir. She was never intended for that. The first covenant, the law, was always meant to serve the second covenant, which is the fulfillment of the promise through Sarah. For us, it's Jesus. The first covenant, the law, was always intended to point to, to be a guide to, to help us to see the Messiah and to put our faith and trust in him alone. Hagar was always intended to serve Sarah in the same way that the law was always intended to serve and point to Jesus. But what were the results of Abraham taking matters into his own hands and making Hagar the supposed mother of his heir? What was the result of his human efforts? And it wasn't what he hoped it would be. There are two results. Verse 28. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. We're part of that heavenly Jerusalem. Verse 29. But now you're being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. Paul is teaching them that, that the result of Abraham's human effort was not peace, but it was conflict. It was animosity. That was the result of having Ishmael and then later Isaac, the promise that was fulfilled by God. It results in immediate conflict. Hagar immediately, I mean, Sarah immediately hated Hagar once she knew she was pregnant. And then the promise of God in Genesis, when Ishmael was born, through that Abraham's own human effort, God said, listen, I'm gonna bless Ishmael because he's your son. He's gonna be a father of nations. 
but there will never be a day where there is not conflict between Ishmael and the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac. The result wasn't peace. It wasn't prosperity. It was conflict and animosity, which we're experiencing even today in our world. The reality is, is what's happening and what has been happening in the Middle East for generations and decades and hundreds of years is because of Abraham taking matters into his own hands rather than trusting in the promise of God. And Paul says the result is not what you would hope if you take matters in your own hands. When you try to build your own resume of righteousness, when you try to go about it your own way, it doesn't work and the result is often conflict and animosity when you're really hoping for peace and unity. It doesn't achieve those things. It achieves the exact opposite. The other result that we see in this text is that they receive no inheritance. Verse 30, but what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with a free woman's son. That's God saying, listen, Ishmael doesn't get the inheritance. He'll receive a blessing from me, but he will not get the inheritance that Isaac, he will not share in the inheritance with Isaac. He will continue to be a slave Only the heir gets the inheritance. And so you have these two results when Abraham decides to take matters into his own hands. It results in conflict and animosity and Ishmael gets no inheritance. He says, that's what it's like if you choose to live according to the law. If you're convinced that in order to you to have a right standing with God, you have to become like the Jewish people and the practicing and all of their wonderful cultural rhythms and patterns. If, if you have to take on, if you're convinced you have to take on circumcision and only eat certain foods and only worship on certain days, if you think that's what's required of you, then you become a slave. And it doesn't result in peace, but it results in animosity. You're always on the outside looking in. You're always measuring yourself against someone else. You're not looking to God anymore just creates conflict. He says, that's the result. You don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. When we choose to live by a list of requirements, even one that's been given to us by someone else, we become a slave to our own effort in order to be included, and it will never be enough. It will never be enough. Um, last night, uh, we had marriage in 3D, and um, I'm here early and along with some other wonderful help, we're getting things ready. And I went into the kitchen to fill up these um, large water dispensers. You know, the one that has the little, you pull the lever and the water comes out and you stop it, you move the lever back up. Well, I filled it with ice, I put it in the sink, I start filling it with water. And I go on to do some other things and to prepare. And I'm like, wow, this is taking a really long time to fill. And um, I'm just filling it and filling it. I'm like, I mean, it's getting there, but it's, I mean, shouldn't it be done by now? And I realize, what did I realize? The spout was open. I mean, I was working hard. I mean, not me personally, but I was like, what's happening? I'm filling and filling and filling and filling and filling and filling and it's never enough. It's never enough. 
That's us when we try to take matters into our own hands, when we live by a list. I have to do a certain number of quiet times. I have to come to a certain number of group gatherings. And if that's our measure, if that's the reason why we do those things, it'll never be enough. We'll be walking back to the sink. It's like, why, where is it all going? Jeremiah, the prophet, had something to say like this to the people of Israel that had just gone AWOL and worshiping other gods. He says, gosh, you're like broken cisterns. You can't hold water. But that's what life is like. We, we think that if we have some sense of control and wrangling over our own righteousness, if we can just do X number of things and we'll be okay with God, the reality is your X number of things and your ability to do them will never be enough. You'll never be enough. And you'll get set back by the things you don't do or the, how you fell on your face and this particular kind of sin and well, maybe if I do, if I just string a number of really good righteous days together, it'll make up for what the blunder happened last week. But let me tell you, it'll never be enough. Never be enough. Oswald Chambers, great pastor, said this, all our fret and worry is caused by calculating without God. Calculating without God. But that's a life lived under the law, expecting your works of the law somehow to be your list that says, God, let me into your kingdom. And the result is anxiety and tension and animosity and fret and worry. And all of that happens without thinking about what God is and who he has and what he's done in his son, Jesus. Don't leave God out of that equation. Paul's declaration at the end in verse 31. Listen to this. So dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman who bear our, we are recipients of the promise of God by his effort, by God's work. God fulfilled the promise through Sarah in giving Abraham an heir. And Paul says, God fulfills the promise of righteousness through what Jesus has done. Who is the fulfillment of the ultimate promise given to Abraham, right? In Genesis 12. Trust Jesus. Paul is saying in verse 31, can I remind you how you started the beginning? Be free. Be free. You're children of the free woman. You're children of the promise. Be free. Don't live in conflict and animosity between one another and God. It doesn't bring peace when you try to work things out on your own, when you try to live under the law. Live under Jesus, in Jesus, through Jesus. In Thailand, when they train elephants, when they're little bitty elephants, they, they strap just this little string, just enough to keep them tied to a tree and they tie them to the tree and little elephants you know, that tries they might, they, they're not able to pull away because they're little, they're not as strong as an adult elephant. And, and as they grow older, um, they, they keep those, even those adult elephants with, even with the smallest strand around their ankle that is secured to the tree, which is crazy. 
the elephant is convinced because since they were just a little elephant, they learned that, gosh, I, I am stuck to this tree because this, this has tied me, it's enslaved me to this tree. But everyone knows that that elephant could, if it wanted to, could just pull away and be free, just like that. Just like that. And Paul's saying, be free. Don't let this, uh, don't let the law entangle you, hold you when you could just be free in Jesus. And no forgiveness and restoration apart from the law because Jesus fulfilled the law. Paul says, be free to do what? Paul says, be free to know God, to love God, and to love one another. Be free. When I was filling up that water, it took me a lot longer than I expected it to take because it was just draining out faster than I could fill it. But the whole time, it kept me from doing what I really needed to do, to be out here in the room, engaging with people. In the same way, when we're trying to do the works of the law and present that to God as, oh, look, God, look what I've done. It keeps us from doing what we know we should be free to do, which is love God and love one another. We're so busy trying to mark our lists that isn't enough. We're free to get back up when we fall without shame or fear. Philippians chapter three, verse 13. Paul says, listen, I haven't achieved perfection in my life. But one thing I do know, I forget what lies behind. The only reason Paul had the freedom to forget what lies behind because of what Christ has done. He could say, yes, I blundered, I sinned right there. But I have the freedom because of the forgiveness that I have in Christ to get back up and to forget about the things that I've done and press on towards Jesus without fear or shame. That's freedom, Paul says, live free, live free. A number of years ago, um, years ago, I had the privilege to sit on the front row at a Spurs game. I mean, in the chairs. And the team was like uh, arm's length away when they were underneath the basket. Uh, And I went with a particular person. I didn't know I was sitting on the front row until I got there. Uh, I just thought we were going to sit in the normal seats. But as we walked into um, the Coliseum there, our AT&T Center, um, you know, walking kind of through the back, these um, hallways that no one else was going to, there was this, you know, this room with this huge buffet of food that I had access to. Um, there, and then we get to, and I'm thinking at some point we're going to diverge and like go somewhere else. And, um, but no, we sit on the front row and I'm, in, I'm like, I don't belong here. Like any moment I felt like someone could stop me and say, are you sure you're in the right place? But I had confidence because of who I was with. I had confidence because of who I was with. I knew that I probably could just point to the guy and he'd be like, yeah, he's with me. He's with me. But that's what Paul says. He says, Be free. Not because you've, you've figured something out and you've been able to accumulate a certain amount of works in your life and uh, because you've been able to adhere to certain parts of the law and you've been able to add things together. But be free because of who has done the work for you. 
and says, yeah, he's with me. She's with me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace towards us. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who fulfilled the law in every facet and detail so that we could be free to love you and love one another, the two great commands. Um, So Lord, help us to set our sights on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and not a list, not accumulation of the works of the law, uh, not to look a certain way, but to look to your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said,